I'm a skyscraper win, I live on the ninety flair, and I'm no gone to play on him For since we moved to your new house, I'm wasting away, cause I'm getting one less meal every day. Oh, you can't fling pieces to a twenty story plant. Seven hundred hungry wings will testify to that. If it's butter, cheese, or chili, if the bread is plain or pan, the odds against it reaching us is ninety-nine to one. Hello, comrades, and welcome to season two, episode two of Spectre. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by two very special guests from Save the Winford. Guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Laura. I'm um, uh, on the Wineford Residents Union Committee. My name's Nick. Uh, I'm also on the committee. And um, yeah, I've been in the Wineford uh, to raise my children, uh, really. I've been here 11 years. Good stuff. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, so we just jumped straight uh, into it. So yeah, the Wineford, you know, what what's the history of the Wineford Lake and uh, what's happening now in the, the current situations we're seeing with, with that scheme? Well, uh, first off, the, the Wineford was public housing, but it was never council housing. It was built by the, the central government, and it was opened by Wally Ross during his socialist plan for Scotland. And it, it's fair to say that that has led to an unusual history, because during the 1980s, the Tory government privatised what was the landlord, the Scottish Special Housing Association, and created... Cube Housing Association out of thin air and then decided, having given this new housing association 5,000 properties, that housing association should be in debt to the tune of a billion pounds. So uh, this led to a long period of underinvestment in the community. And uh, it's fair to say that Cube, for its entirety, was a financially distressed landlord. And that led to uh, all sorts of decisions, um, some of them good, some of them very bad. The good first, they thought outside the box because they couldn't afford to meet the Scottish uh, quality housing standard brought in in 2012. So they, they couldn't achieve that through the usual means of overcladding and ripping out storage heaters to put in new storage heaters. And they went for a district heating scheme uh, without the overcladding. And to their good fortune and our good fortune, uh, they, they found a pot of money because British Gas phoned them up and said, we've got this money from the British government to do energy efficiency measures. So we ended up with um, all the overcladding and a new uh, power station, uh, which which heats our heat and hot water. And it means that we have um, a collective response to heating. We don't have the, the sort of situation that you have where you've got a thousand different uh, providers for, for your heating. So, so that's good. But what's bad is the high flats and uh, the, the way in which they were run down for a number of years. Uh, what would happen was Cube Housing Association would just take anyone at all who wanted to move in and not do any checks. And that led to a lot of vulnerable adults moving in who uh, really needed wraparound support and didn't receive it. The new landlord, the GHA, is a very different beast. You know, they were the, the former uh, council housing in Glasgow and uh, they spent the past uh, nearly nearly 20 years, two, yes, tw exactly 20 years. They were born in 2003 in the stock transfer, and they've spent most of that period tearing public housing down. Uh, they've been responsible for the demolition of around 40,000 public homes. They've built 3,500 to replace them. So the GHA is, is a, it's a huge monolith, and its response to its loss of power and status from demolishing all these homes is to simply acquire other housing associations. And they were able to do that with Coop Housing Association because it was financially distressed and the GHA got the big bucks. So they came in telling us that they were going to provide £73 million of, of investment and a, a rent cap of 1% for the next three years. So tenants looking at Coop Housing Association, historically bad landlord, thought, oh, well, that sounds good. The first we heard, of course, from the GHA in its new role after after the stock transfer to, to the GHA was that £73 million consisted of 54 million for demolition. A nice Christmas present in 2021. I'm just sitting here shaking my head, you know, like no matter how many times you hear it, it just, you're, the, your mind boggles. I mean, we need something to change because the, the big question is where is everyone supposed to live? Like, I mean, yeah, uh, 
it's 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 just a travesty. Yeah, no. Cheers for cheers for that rundown, guys. I mean, uh, I I can just imagine how frustrating it is, and uh, I think it's always good to get that that sort of history and that track record uh, of what's happening uh, to support uh, much of what we'll go on to talk about later on. So moving on from that, then I I, I guess just sort of understanding, you know, what empowered you to set up the the, the Wineford Residents Union and subsequently uh, the Save the Wineford campaign? Well, uh, I don't want to give you too long of a potted history, but there had been a residents association set up here as a result of the, the struggle against the closure of the schools. So our uh, scheme was, was designed by a guy called Harold Buto, who was a pacifist architect. And uh, the scheme itself sits in what was the former Highland Light Infantry Barracks. And we have a wall around it that, that dates to that, uh, that period. Uh, so uh, Buto's idea that was it would be tridents into plowshares, and he would really make a special effort to ensure that it was all the amenities on site. So we had two schools, we had uh, a nursery school, we had a supermarket, we had a church, and we had a Catholic chapel just outside the scheme as well. So this was all well thought out in comparison to many housing schemes. In their wisdom in 2009, the city council decided they wanted to sell off these schools and basically make a property deal to build, you know, bought houses there. And there was a sit-in by the local community, which lasted for over a month. And then the council gave up and granted a SOP, which they called a family centre, but that's become a much-loved community centre. We'd obviously preferred the schools, but as a result, people here were, were quite well organised. So it did come out of a kind of a working-class battle over, over schools. And, you know, this is an area where there's a huge mix of tenures. There's people who are uh, private tenants. There's people who are uh, in, in various different projects. We had uh, folk from Sam H. Uh, they, had, they had some tenancies, and I know people on the homelessness list, uh, and, and obviously that there's people subletting flats and things like that as well. So so many different tenures and tenancies, but it's fair to say there's a higher than average number of owner-occupiers because people availed themselves of the right to buy because Cube was such a terrible landlord. So that, that impacts on things. But um, as a result of fighting for these different uh, cohorts of people, uh, we, we took on Cube a, a fair amount, and Cube decided that they would de-recognise the, the Wineford Residents Association, as it was then, um, because uh, to to, um, to use the phrase of the outgoing Chief Executive David McKenzie, uh, we needed to take the power back. That's how they saw it in terms of, in terms of fighting the Wineford Residents Association. So there was no money. And it was clear that what we wanted to do was establish a membership organisation so that we, we, would, we would never be accountable to the landlord. And, you know, the landlord tried various things, setting up stooge organisations and things. But initially, we, we uh, tried to work with Unite Community. That uh, worked a little bit, but we didn't uh, we didn't really get the traction. But, you know, after our long period of trial and error, we, I think we've got the method down. You know, we the way we work is households pay uh, £2 uh, a month to join. And uh, if, they're, if they're skin, it's a pound a month. The more important thing is that everyone's participating. And given that you know, uh, uh, given that that token to to join, so yeah, we're we're a union now, and um, we're affiliated to the Scottish Tenants Organisation. But it, it, the actual organisation itself has had many incarnations and dates back to that original struggle to save our schools. Yeah, it sounds fantastic, Laura. Have you got anything to add as well? Uh, no, that's a pretty good rundown. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a brilliant rundown and, you know, now that you're a union, all power to you. Uh, and I guess talking about power as well, you know, the, the Save the Wineford campaign have been obviously following it closely and I think a lot of people have as well. It's been it's been great to see the, the support that's been uh, given to the Wineford Residents Union uh, across multiple facets, you know, uh, whether that be financial or uh, through social media and support, uh, supporting and promoting the campaign in numerous amounts of ways. So it's fantastic to see and I guess that effortlessly brings us on to the the occupation then. So in, in your own words as residents, you know, why do you feel that this is necessary? Why do you think you've been pushed to such extremes? Uh, well, just being completely stonewalled by GHA or the weekly group for, for the last 
uh, I want to say two years, because even though the demolition wasn't announced until uh, uh, was it December 21, mm -hmm. um, we knew this was coming. It, it was obvious that this was their plan for a long time. So we had already been uh, talking about it and thinking of ways to get organised. Um, obviously, initially, we started out uh, uh, just wanting to support the poor people that were getting evicted from their homes and to make sure that they had the best deal uh, and that they were getting given the top priority that they were promised so that they could get flats they actually wanted to move into and they weren't just being moved, uh, you know, to miles away from their local connections from their you know community their friends and family and sometimes well out of their you know route to work and all the rest of it which unfortunately did happen in some cases because um the the gha was really putting the fear into people uh and sometimes threatening them and saying oh well, you might not get a, another offer uh or you know you might end up getting evicted or, or going through the courts you might get chucked out your flat stuff like that um, so initially we were just trying to support those tenants, but at the same time, uh, we basically door chats every uh, household in the scheme to try to find out what people's feeling more generally was about the demolition. Uh, and our worry, obviously, at the time was that there's a, quite a vocal minority of people in the neighbourhood that uh, just kind of tout GHA's line of, oh, these flats are an eyesore, they, they're outdated, uh, no one wants to live in towers anymore and they're full of drug addicts anyway, so let's get rid of them. And we were worried that that might be a, a generally held opinion. Uh, and it turns out that it's not. Uh, a minority of people hold those views, but the vast majority of people in the wine are actually really opposed to the plans because they've seen this happen elsewhere and they know the score, they know what happens. There's no guarantee those houses will ever get built. If they do get built, there's no guarantee that it'll be social housing. Uh, and they don't want to see the place turned into a wasteland for years uh, while they wait for something to be built. Yeah, and thinking back to that that November 2021, there was um there was some debate about what to do because I know that there were some people who felt it was a done deal, and it's fair to say those of us who kept up the fight don't agree, but uh, that was that was certainly something that was going on at the time. Absolutely, um, at the yeah at the time there was some discussion about um whether it was at all realistic to even fight uh, the demolition. It was it was being accepted as many as being a done deal. And our main issue was, uh, our main focus should just be on supporting the tenants as best we could. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm really glad that we said no, actually. <laughs> We're putting our foot down about this one because this is a fight that's going to affect people across Scotland. This isn't just about the Wineford. This is about all over Scotland. And we have a homelessness crisis and we have a crisis in a lack of social housing. We need to turn this around and start thinking about where working class people are going to live and what kind of communities they're going to live in um, and, and start shifting our priorities. Yeah, we, we need to think big. I, I mean, I remember we, we, as I said, we've been through many incarnations and at one stage we were, we were a living rent branch. And I know that the, the union living rent took the view that branches should focus on one thing. But as I said before, we've got many different tenures and many different interest groups. And so it wasn't that wasn't really a viable thing that we could do. And yeah, we do need to think big because this isn't just what's happening to us. Um, we saw the GHA advertise a demolition officer. So they're paying someone 40, 45 grand to work, you know, five days a week to defeat us. But in the advert, it talked about once the demolition was over, this demolition officer would have to work across group, including in Dumfries and Galloway. Yeah, yeah. And the significance of that is the Wheatley group has seized control of all the former council housing in Dumfries and Galloway. So the way in which they want to demolish social housing here and replace them with these yuppie houses, these mid-market rent, £900 a month private tenancies, they want to do that right across the country because the Scottish government's prepared to pay for that. So, uh, you know, we're, we're making a stand here, not just for the Wineford, but, but for the rest of the country as well. And and I think it was wrong to say that we should only take on one thing. I think we need to take on all the things. Yeah, I was kind of thinking more about uh, people within the Wineford and, and and not being sure what kind of fight that we could uh, wage against this. But certainly in terms of Living Rent as an external uh, organisation that was uh, one time we were affiliated to, we were instructed not to do this campaign. <laughs> I mean, quite boldly told not to do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really glad that this has gone ahead because the support has been fantastic. And, and like Nick says, this is this is one of the major fights of our generation. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a reason that so many people across Glasgow and across Scotland care enough to join uh, organisations like Living Rent because they can see that we're at, at breaking point. But the problem that we have is that this is a social scheme. You know, we're talking about social housing here. The same uh, things that apply to the rent, uh, the rented um 
uh, sphere are, 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 we're experiencing them here. Uh, and we really need representation for social tenants in Scotland. We need a way for for those people to get together. Um, and uh, and that's, that's kind of what we're looking at trying to build going forward. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, guys. It's it's great to hear that mentality of getting the foot down and uh, you know no surrendering to these these giants such as Weekly. And going going off on a tangent here, then just uh, to uh, inform folk on Weekly and uh, some of the the acts that they've done and the the run up and their plans for this demolition. It's been quite in- interesting to see uh, their tactics, especially uh, of how they've calculated uh, their responses from. Uh, residents within the Wineford that's <laughs> it's certainly interesting to see where they get their figures from I'm just wondering if you can come in on that and how they've been able to amplify the, the voice of the minority they just make it up <laughs> Yeah, there really is so much to say here um, maybe let's start at the beginning they ran what they call the consultation which consisted of some open meetings where you went along and they blethered at you and I don't know what how they were meant to get data from that but you, they, they didn't have a, a questionnaire or whatever. They did put around a questionnaire to tenants, but it had facile leading questions like, how excited are you about the £73 million regeneration and the demolition of 120 block, 151 block, 171 block, 191 block, Wineford Road? So, uh, and they, they, they had little smiley faces on each of the, each of the tick boxes. And that, you know, if you vote in an election, you don't do it like that. Let's put it that way. And what we found out subsequently, because they keep touting a figure of 85% support, is that they they received, uh, in their view, 300 responses. But bear in mind, some of these were not anything in terms of paper or a ballot or anything like that. And they said uh, this was often up to the housing officer to decide whether the tenant was in favour of the plans. Now, if, if you were organising some kind of ballot or consultation, uh, you know, you would never accept that, never in a million years. So as far as we're concerned, that figure is made up. It's nonsense. But they've done, uh, they've continued in the same um, duplicitous vein. They have profiled the tenants. So at the start, they were looking for people they could see as uh, vulnerable. And they put the frighteners on them and said, oh, you better leave or, or the, the lawyers will come in. Uh, they, they racially profiled the tenants, so BAME tenants, foreign tenants, were outright told, no, you don't have a, you don't have an option to stay in the Wineford because you haven't lived here long enough. Mm-hmm. And on one occasion, we even caught them putting that in writing, uh, and we got a, 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 a word from their their locality area director, Lindsay Heggie, saying, no, no, that's not happening. No, I've instructed my staff not to do that, but, but we know it happened. And then um, just recently, we heard of an anecdote a chap in, in one of the blocks moved out in November. He was given £3,500 in cash. This this man had a, a bad drink problem and he went on a bender. But they were just trying to get him out. And they're using all the tactics. Um, the other thing that they've started to do, and we've found some evidence of this, because uh, we received a, a, a letter from the GHA chair, Bernadette Hewitt, in which it, it, it was uh, what they call myth-busting. So the, the usual crap from GHA. Um, but it was all written in red text. Uh, <laughs> we dispute this and so on. But in the in this email, Bernadette Hewitt talked about how many tenants are in the Wineford Residents Union and how many owners are in the Wineford Residents Union and went on, a lie, but went on to say, oh, there's people who are, don't live in the scheme who are in the Wineford Residents Union. But the interesting thing about that mapping is that it, it is not uh, an academic exercise. We know that tenants involved in in the fight now uh, are, are being told by the GHA, oh, you you know, you better we better have a conversation with you about your tenancy. So they're using all the tactics um, and they're very duplicitous, uh, and you know they they are sincere about their mapping efforts and their attempts to to defeat us. So uh, we're taking it very seriously. Yeah, spot on. I mean, the the tactics have been uh, quite rightly disgusting, uh, especially those in the media, uh, where weekly having to rely on those who have already moved out. Uh, and are living somewhere different and they're bringing them in to, to talk about uh, the Wineford and, you know, as you say, toe the weekly line uh, and the line that's always used against working class communities that uh, these uh, vital housings uh, are nothing more than an eyesore for the middle class and uh, the rich uh, in the surrounding areas. 
And as well as you've said, uh, and the information that's been obtained, uh, I, I remember that the uh, Wineford Residents Union uh, were able to file for a freedom of information request uh, on how they obtained their figures. And as you've said, uh, 85% uh, of the te- uh, tenants uh, are in favour of destroying the Wineford, they said. Yet the housing officer was given the, the sole decision to determine if a resident, based off those promiscuous uh, surveys that they were given, was in favour. Uh, and how, how can you come to that decision based off a survey that is almost primary school level? Uh, it's utterly diabolical to sort of play on what the, the residents are feeling. You know, there's, there's no denying that, you know, residents such as yourself want to see improvements within the within the scheme itself. But that doesn't mean you subsequently not want the whole area bulldozed down. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's disgusting to see these tactics employed by, I think it's the largest uh, monopoly for, for social housing here in Scotland. So, yeah, I, I can only repeat this time and time and again, but all power to, to you and all those involved with Save the Wineford for uh, all the work you are doing, because we, we know for a fact that Wheatley are going to fire up more and more obstacles uh, as this campaign progresses. And Talking about the the campaign itself and the Wheatley Group's proposal to demolish the flats, there's a severe environmental cost to this proposed demolition. Just wondering if you can come in and, and sort of talk to us about that. Uh, yeah, well, the demolition, it's, uh, there's so many different angles again to this because uh, the demolition itself will actually release something like 10,000 tonnes of carbon into the, uh, you know, carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So that's that's huge. Uh, and then you've got the actual destruct. Well, um, and on top of that, every bit of material from those four flats is going to be broken down on site. Uh, so that's uh, polluting the River Kelvin. That's further polluting the environment um, and also destroying all this green belt land that we've got surrounding the estate, which is one of the things that makes it, as Alan Dunlop was saying, our, our architect friend, that it's one of it's a completely unique uh, residential environment um, there's nothing like it in the rest of Scotland um, and it's true uh, because it's the it's the perfect use of space in terms of conserving the environment you know you've got all this like sizable good quality housing um, and then all this lovely green space uh, which can be used by by people we've got um, football parks we've got playgrounds we've got and then you've got all the wildlife living down by the river Kelvin uh, which obviously the GHA or the Wheatley group have commissioned their own you know, wildlife reports and paid people to come along and assess the area and say, no, nope, nothing lives here. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're actually looking at doing our own our own assessments um, uh, to show that there are actually lots of uh, rare animals or protected species living in the area. Uh, and we've been pushing like crazy, obviously, for this environmental impact assessment, which they felt they didn't need, um, which is preposterous. You can imagine blowing up four apartment buildings and thinking you don't need to do an environmental impact assessment for that. Um, So one of the things that we've been doing is we've been lobbying councillors, we've been lobbying the Green Party uh, like crazy to just say, and and obviously we put in all our oppositions to the the planning application, which uh, they then turned around and decided they didn't need one. Um, But but now at least uh, people have started changing their tune and the council has come up out and said that they are actually in favour of a, a proper environmental impact assessment being carried out. Well, they're doing a, a scoping exercise, which is a kind of quasi-legal thing. And if it goes the wrong way, we can appeal. Mm. And the benefit of that, of course, is that while while that process is ongoing, GHA can't pursue its demolition. So a bit of a victory for the, the, the demonstration and direct action last week. Mm. But on top of that, of course, there's, and I mean, we've invited Patrick Harvey to our upcoming public meeting and had a kind of confusing and disappointing response from him, but we're still hopeful that we can get some more dialogue with him about this. Uh, because it's obviously his his area. Um, but one of the major outcomes of COP26 was a whole load of noise being made about how we needed to retrofit buildings instead of tearing them down and building anew. Uh, as we've seen done, uh, at, for example, at Cedar Court down the road, uh, which is a lovely retrofit and has been hugely successful, uh, and which was the toast of COP26. They held events there and everything saying how great this was and that this is the way forward. Um, so, I mean, really, we're waiting for Patrick Harvey to tell us, well, why not in the wine frame? <laughs> why can't we have nice things? Yeah. Why can't we have mass social housing that is decent quality, uh, that is up to energy standards, that is lasting, sustainable, and surrounded by uh, the lovely green space, which we can preserve? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that point about the retrofit, because the GHA's own structural engineering survey done by AJ Balfour shows that the flats can be retrofitted. Now, obviously, 
you're in the pay of the GHA and they want you to say they can't be. So that was a bit telling. But the, the figure that AJ Balfour report came out at to, to retrofit to meet a net zero, um, no emissions standard was £55 million. The figure for demolition and rebuild is £54 million. So there's not a huge uh, gap between those two figures. And certainly we think that the GHA's costs for retrofitting, which as Laura said, would save 10,000 tonnes of carbon in the critical period over the next five years. Uh, you know, we think they've inflated those costs. And we have a VAT uh, expert coming to talk about that at our public meeting on Saturday. Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds really good, guys. I mean, they've covered a lot of points in the environmental impact there, and it's one of the points that seems to be completely overlooked, uh, as you've covered there. You know, COP26, the, the, the Scottish government, time and time again, ever since the, the COP summit, has continued to fail in meeting its targets. And when it's given a chance here, it's choosing not to. It is making the choice to, to not meet these targets. And like we're talking about the quality of the, the housing as well, you know, it's got an EPC rating of a C and that is actually mm -hmm. higher uh, than what the average needs to be for, for social housing in Scotland. So the, the argument is there to retrofit. I can say this from experience, you know, being young and, you know, looking for looking for a flat, uh, an EPC rating. When you find a flat like that, there's queues out the door to try and even just view the property and never mind get your say in and, and, and try getting a in a bid. So, you know, the, the demand for that kind of a quality and to improve that quality even further for these flats would be would be more than beneficial. And the, the use of the green space as well, you know, we're actively, you know, encouraging people to get out more and, and join in their local community. But how are they going to, you know, participate within that community and, you know, want to participate within it when that green space and, you know, the areas surrounding it are, you know, non-existent? What, what, does, that, what does that give? You know, so I think the environmental impact will be, be catastrophic really and it will be interesting see to see as you've said you know calling in the greens to you know stand up for what they what they spout to believe in for not just what it will have in the, the wildlife as you've rightly mentioned for the the survey and that but just its impact from what's been continuously shouted about throughout the years at cop 26 very few of these nations that came to it were were, were wanting subsequent change coming after it you, the country's most affected are you know, your your over overexploited countries. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting the Cuban delegation before it, and they were they were constantly going on about what they're wanting to achieve and what they're wanting this, uh, what they're wanting these nations to come out and doing for for the world as well. And you know, it, it's a slap in the face to these countries that are so so deeply impacted by climate change that the Scottish government's got a chance here and it's throwing it away. Uh, and it only adds to your argument even further. So moving on from from that, then we've not just got the environmental impact uh, of the proposed demolition. We've also got the the effect on the community uh, and a societal basis as well. Just just want to get you you guys' views of what this demolition will mean for the community. Well, I, I'm raising my children here. I said that at the beginning. You know, my my both my children. My my son is ten. My daughter's seven. They've lived their whole lives here, and if we are unsuccessful they'll grow into adults uh, during a building site that's going to last five, seven years. There's going to be concrete breaking with you know pile drivers, big lorries going up and down Wineford Road. It's really going to divide the community. And also, there's no guarantee that GHA will stop at these 600 flats. Why? We have more tower blocks than the whole of Dundee, just in our, our little nuke of Mary Hill. So if those tower blocks weren't fit for purpose, what about the other tower blocks in our scheme? Why would they stop there? We're all sat on very high land values. And, you know, the the amenity of the area is a sort of saving grace. You know, this is, this is still a very poor area. We are one of the hardest hit communities. We are, the entire community is uh, at the bottom of the Scottish Index of Multiple Deprivation for data zones. So, um, you know, we're, we're either about, uh, in, in the bottom 300 out of 7,500 or in the bottom 150. So this is an area that, that needs investment. Uh, people need hope for the future. And uh, turning it into a concrete jungle, is, that, that's not hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just to speak to that, I know a woman uh, whose child has severe asthma. She's looking at potentially having to, well, I mean, she probably will have to move if this goes ahead because uh, the dust and everything, she's right on the on the site. 
Um, I might have to move because I've got two rescue dogs that don't like constant noise. So I think I'm going to be going mad with the dogs barking all the time because it's going to be nonstop. Um, so it's really going to make life around here a lot harder for us. But I mean, not to mention, it's more about what kind of homes and what kind of future do we want? What kind of communities do we want to live in in the future? Because um, anybody that's looking at the demolition is a good thing and imagining that that symbolizes a return uh, to, you know, like everybody has their own little house with a picket fence uh, and a front door. And that's just not the reality going for That's not not a reality that's going to be achievable for most people. We need proper social housing going forward. Um, and that's and that's the thing that, you know, like if they're going to demolish, they need to be really, really clear about what they're planning to build in its stead. And they, there's just no uh, emphasis, no, no, uh, no demands being put on them to actually show what their plans are or to prove that those plans are in any way beneficial to the community. No, that, that's true. I mean, over the past two weeks, the figure that GHA has been using for the number of social housing and uh, these these uh, mid-market rent naughty houses um, for you know people earning over £21,000, that figure went from 250 to 255 in the space of a few days. What they told the politicians, though, at the start, before they really moved on any of the other communications, when they told the politicians in private, was they wanted 300 mid-market rent homes. I think there's a there's a real question for your listeners to, to ask here. Why does the Scottish government fund these private tenancies? That's what mid-market rent is. It's a private tenancy. You don't have the same rights as a social housing tenant. You, you can be toughed out at a moment's notice. You have to earn over £21,000. You can't earn more than £41,000. If you lose your job, you're to be evicted. You know, this is what the Scottish government is funding. It's very peculiar. Uh, unless, of course, what you wanted to do was really push the private rental sector as much as possible and transform social housing landlords into private landlords. Yeah, I think that's really well summarised, guys. I mean, uh, the effect we could talk even more on the effects of landlords uh, for hours, but so I'll not get started too much in that. But as you said, we've seen it in the after this uh, the Thatcher years, where, where people were buying up the social housing and uh, the prices on them skyrocketing through rent, and it's not done any good whatsoever. Surprise, surprise! Uh, in Scotland, we're already facing you know a, a growing homeless crisis, and you know what does what good does demolishing 600 homes and replace them with half the amount due for anyone. It's, it's not going to resolve any issues for the, the vulnerable people uh, who are already living in the Wineford who aren't receiving the wraparound care that they deserve and need. It's not going to solve any issues. It's just going to add to the current crisis. And, you know, it's 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 either total ignorance or I, I don't even know what else, what else it could be, cruelty, to, to just go ahead with this decision with that in mind as well as as we've talked about the effect in the community you know nobody wants to live beside a, a building site let, let alone one that's got no clear end date on it as well who who knows how long it will take for for Wheatley to to complete their constructions so uh, yeah I, I can imagine how uncomfortable it is there's a point there Nathan you only need to look around many of the areas where the GHA has previously demolished lots of social housing to find that they're perfectly happy to leave vast bomb sites for tens, dozens of years. I mean, I was just in Hamilton Hill today, where I used to live, and uh, I fought the GHA then um, to try and save my home. I lost. Uh, that that uh, that area still hasn't been built on, and I'm talking 2010, that was, so 13 years ago. Over the road from me, on the other side of Hamilton Hill, there was a, an area that, that uh, was demolished right at the very beginning of the GHA still not been built on. You know, you, you can go right around the city and you can find all these gap sites. So there's absolutely no guarantee that they will build. And another aspect of the GHA's business is it makes a lot of money from the bonds market based on the land value. And one thing we can say for certain is that because of our proximity to uh, to the West End of Glasgow, to, to the Botanic Gardens, you know, we're, we're literally about five minutes walk from Botanic Gardens, and the relatively affluent suburb, Kelvin Dale, and sat on uh, both, the, the, you know, the, the canal and the, and the fourth uh, and the um, and the Kelvin. You know, we, we are a, an area of very high land value, and that land value will just continue to rise. So, um, so you know, it, no guarantee that they will build anything. 
yeah, spot on, Nick. I mean, bandits, that's probably the, the number one word I can come up to describe Wheatley, uh, given how how they've left areas in and around Glasgow and Scotland also. Uh, and talking on the, the social impact, you've also had uh, great support from the likes of Chris Mitchell from the GMB, who have had on the show previously. And uh, he supports the the much needed TLC for the, the Wineford. And, the, you know, he's also stated that he's got members who stay in that area. And, you know, if these flats get knocked down, then there's going to be a high element who just can't afford to stay in that gentrified area any longer. And the gentrification uh, of the Wineford, as you've sort of alluded to, uh, the, the value uh, in the eyes of, you know, those bandits uh, like Weekly have been so close to the weekend, uh, the, the West End, sorry. What would the gentrification of that area mean for you and how, how would that impact other areas in the, the next few years if this demolition were to go ahead? Well, it means getting priced out of the wine for it altogether for a lot of us. And that process is already happening. I mean, homeowners get uh, letters through the door constantly asking to buy their houses off them. So this is the thing. Um, also, the, the homeowner bills have been going up like crazy. So so Wheatley tries to tries to make the most is out of uh, everyone that lives on the wine fruit as they can. And the effect that that has is that a lot of working class uh, people are looking at they, they just can't afford to live here anymore because of it. Um, but I think the idea is to generally slowly move all the working class people out of the wine fruit and start tearing it down and building anew. And the problem is that they've done this. You've seen it, um, you know, the new builds that they've been building along the canal and that. They are dead, soulless areas. They are not pleasant places to live. Um, they are not places that have any, uh, there's no one out and about. Uh, they, they, they don't get used. Um, and I think, I, I can't imagine what people are imagining um, will replace the high flats if they are in favor of the demolition. But I, I'm dreading uh, another sort of, uh, uh, is it the Botany uh, where they destroyed the social housing and they built new builds, some of which ended up being social housing. Oh, not a lot campaign, oh, only, oh yeah, only because they fought tooth and nail for it. But also there's a, a big kind of difference between um, the social housing that was built there and the private housing as well. Um, but, but there is... <sighs> You're talking about concreting over like swathes of greenbelt land uh, to create just roads and little cul-de-sacs uh, and like then some some higher uh, buildings like right on the riverfront. Um, it's just going to be a much less pleasant place to live for everyone, <laughs> forever, you know? Yeah, of course, there's so many people benefit from passing through the Kelvin Walkway, which is effectively part of our scheme um, and the green space within it who will lose out as well so uh, even if you're, you're not interested in the the social housing angle uh, you really only care about the, the kiln walkway you, you will still be badly affected by this what we saw in our campaign to prevent the council privatizing a section of land nearby our scheme at Kleiner street at the top of the canal uh, the canal locks uh, what we saw there was the council desperately trying to make a buck from an area that had been social housing cleansed by the GHA of any any uh, any homes and left to rot for 15 years. The council then wanted to build 400 yuppie flats on it. So you can see the, the agenda uh, all around us. Sorry, if, if I can just add to that, is there's, there's the buy-to-let element, obviously. Yeah. Rents are going to skyrocket. And Nick was saying to me yesterday, I think that there's a flat the same flat as what we're sitting in just now talking to you, Maisonette flat in the Wineford is now being rented out for £2,100 a month in four box rooms. So I, I, I said at the beginning, I moved here to raise my children. Uh, I was living in London in a, in a very leafy part of London called Crouch End because it was near a tube station. And there was a residence association there that comprised of homeowners that lived in the townhouses. And what they were trying to do is prevent what happened to create my flat at the time, where these townhouses were subdivided into tiny little bed sets. And uh, the, the property developers were trying to buy up these townhouses. So they could do that to the, the, inter the interior of the townhouse and then build a tower block on the garden to really maximise their value. And I remember calling it the hutch when I was living there. Um, it was no place to raise, raise a family. And uh, it seems that as a result of these processes, the hutches are moving to Glasgow. They're moving to the wine farm. Uh, over the over the road from where me and Laura sat just now, there's a a flat where they stripped out the kitchen, and they turned the living room into a, a separate box room. Um, so you know, <laughs> maximise your value. 
Um, and obviously that means that any mid-market rent housing that the GHA build, we suspect 300 is their intention, uh, would be charging £900 a month. Uh, you know, who, who is earning that money in a city where the, the mode average wage is less than the minimum wage? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's frightening to see and it's it's almost hard to, to wrap your head around when you, you view it from that that point as well, from, you know, the, the price and the, you know, the the wage and the, you know we're, we're told that the real living wage but the, the real living wage is not enough to cover anything <laughs> what does it what does it actually cover and like like we talk about with the social social element in the housing there's when it comes to the argument of, of those like Wheatley promoting against it there's a, a very strong element of classist reporting and we touched on it sort of, sort of very briefly earlier in regards to to drugs and those vulnerable uh, within the Wineford and you know, this is something that's always shoehorned in, and and, and I believe to discredit a uh, working class organisation within these communities. And time and time again, you know, it completely negates the the, the point for the, the the need for the Wineford regeneration. You know, what good is uh, going to demolishing these homes and putting people who are vulnerable or suffer from uh, addiction? What's it actually going to do to them? It's not going to do anything. It's going to accelerate their addiction, and you know, they're going to be added to. You know the the large statistic that's already plaguing uh, just over Glasgow, not even just Scotland as a whole, but even Glasgow's frightening statistics. I'm I'm just looking to get your thoughts on how uh, certain media channels have have talked about uh, the Save the Wineford campaign and how you feel about uh, that uh, reporting. If it's an a, an attack on you as a community, absolutely. And uh, I think you've hit the, you've hit the nail on the head there. And there's been a real stigmatization of our community as a result of this, and a real attempt to separate the kinds or the class of people that live in high flats from the class of people that would live in maisonettes or slightly lower high flats. And it's it's absurd. As you know, we all need flats. Uh, these are people who who live. These are your neighbours. Um, but, but part of that, I mean, part of the, what's galling is that we as a residents union have spent years trying to tackle problems to do with um, antisocial behaviour, to do with drug pushers in the neighbourhood, uh, targeting the young people, um, you know, dealing drugs in front of our little shop, in front of the nursery and all this. And we've come up with really inventive solutions um, for dealing with these, like some of which have led to us having like a new uh, youth um, uh, community youth centre opened on site um, and you know there have been some positive changes made but we've had to fight like crazy to make that happen against um, GHA you know what I mean so for them to then turn around and use drug addiction uh, or antisocial behaviour as an excuse to tear down our flats and destroy our community is really on the nose <laughs> yeah I mean there's an element of, of journalism where Obviously, you know, a lot of journalists are seeking balance, but the, there's a cohort of people that don't live in communities like ours who have stigmatised views of our community and they see projecting those views onto us as a way of, of having uh, balance in the reporting. And I know with the, the John Beattie interview on, on, on BBC Radio Scotland, there was certainly an element of that where the, the uh, Radio Scotland found two people who no longer lived in the community uh, and, and were wanted to see the flats pulled down and that uh, they added in aye but there's druggies as well eh um, and that was from John Beattie rather than the rather than the um, rather than the, the the two former tenants so you get a lot of that and I think I think it's good to push back and say look if you want balance let's listen to the guff from the GHA and let them let them explain why it will save carbon to blow up you know all that in, <laughs> embodied carbon let let the let the architects and the professionals laugh at that because they are they're they're a holy show really uh, there was in fact a, a cartoon in the architects journal uh, lampooning them um talking about them building naughty houses so you know let, let let them speak for themselves we don't need any lies let the ghe out themselves as as completely out of touch yeah absolutely spot on guys and i i guess just moving Moving on to the final point, then is you know that that continued argument for this regeneration. Uh, I just want to see you know if we had folk from Wheatley in the the room right now, uh, if they'd be brave enough to show their faces, uh, you know what would be the the key defining points that you'd give to them and explain to them that as long as they don't they don't meet these points, then the the political occupation of these flats will continue. Well, the first is had they come to us and said, 
We want to build 600 socially rented homes to replace these 600 socially rented homes. We might have entertained an argument, but that's not what they're doing. They're halving the amount of social, well, not they're halving the amount of housing, and it's not going to be social housing. And what they're doing is they're uh, halving the amount of housing, doubling their rental income, and completely uh, getting rid of their management costs. So I would say to them, we need at least 600 homes on the table. And they would come back and they would probably say, oh, but that would be very expensive. Oh, and you'd have to build really high. And I'd say, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you've already got some very high flats and they've, they've already packed in 600 homes. And then we'd say, why would why have you dismissed the case for retrofit? We know it's cheaper than demolition and rebuild. We know it's more environmentally friendly. And they'd say, oh, what about the VAT? And we'd say, well, no, you've been you've been lying about the VAT. And they'd say, oh, the AJ Balfour report. And we'd say, well, our structural engineering report that we're presenting on Saturday shows the AJ Balfour report to be conservative in its assumptions and fundamentally flawed. And then point to their Dr. Richard Atkins report saying the carbon uh, analysis that he he produced says it's a, it's more a, a environmentally friendly to blow up the blocks and start again. And we'd say, no, our carbon analysts, EALA Impacts, have analysed his report and found it to be flawed. And we'd say we have, you know, the support of, of uh, you know, various powers that be to, to push this forward. Um, so we need to get that negotiating uh, position. But we must start with 600 flats and we must start with keeping the ones we've got there already. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that's what we can get uh, the, the guys from Whitley down to finally meet. Uh, the residents or the residents they don't want to meet the residents they know that they'll, they'll fight tooth and nail uh, for these flats and quite rightly so and just sort of finishing off then just looking to see if you guys have got any any final talking points and uh, whereabouts can we find uh, using social media so everybody can stay up to date and hopefully get involved and in playing their part and uh, helping save the Wineford. Yeah, so uh, follow us on Facebook. You can follow the Residence Union on Facebook. That's just Wineford Residence Union. Uh, and everything. Facebook.com. Oh, sorry, you're right. It's just Wineford Residence. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and then the you can also follow us on Twitter, but you can also follow the campaign on Twitter. That's uh, Save the Wineford, at Save the Wineford. Um, and then, of course, we've got our, pub, our big, big public meeting coming up on Saturday. So, um, yeah, come along to that because we're going to be laying out the full argument. Uh, we'll also be making a high quality video recording of that so that we can show it to every single politician. They can't ignore us anymore um, to get their comments on that and uh, start start proper proper dialogue about getting them to negotiate with us. Um, but also I'm quite excited about something that uh, we were talking about doing in about, in about three weeks time, which was having a walk from that um, dead land up at uh, Hamilton Hill where they never built anything. So we'd start out there and then do a wee walk down to the Wineford, past the High Flats, and then end up in the White House Cafe for a, for an event that evening. So I'm quite excited about that because uh, we've got a lot of art and stuff around the campaign already. So we'll be showing off some of that. But yeah, the big one is trying to make it out for our public meeting in the Hub at one o'clock next Saturday. That's uh, yep. the 11th of February. Yep, Wineford Road. Uh, you can't miss it though. It's a giant school building in the middle of uh, the, the community. That's our community centre. So we really hope to see you there. Yeah, it sounds fantastic, guys. Sadly, I won't be able to attend, but I'll be mustering up as many folk as I can to get to that because it sounds absolutely fantastic, the the stuff you've got planned uh, upcoming to just re, re-emphasise your points, uh, especially in regards to the uh, the dead land that Wheatley has left in its trail. So, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be looking forward to hearing everything that's uh, planned and proposed for that meeting. But yeah, thanks again, guys, for for taking time uh, out your busy schedules. I, I imagine with all this, uh, and yeah, I, I I keep find myself saying it, but all power to you, and uh, I'm looking forward to how this campaign develops, uh, especially uh, some of the sly tactics that we might find weekly employ, uh, which is no surprise given how how your attitude has not been dampened by anything that they've done. Uh, across the, the the proposal for this uh, demolition uh, and their acts and liaison with the police uh, during the, the occupation. So all power to you guys, and I look forward to hearing more about the campaign. A pleasure, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Thanks again, comrades, for tuning in to another episode of Spectre. It's absolutely vital 
that as many of you can give support to the Wineford residents, YCL Britain and the other activists who have occupied the Wineford high-rises, which are set to be demolished by Wheatley Homes. Make no mistake, this is an assault on the working class and it requires a working class counter-attack to combat it. Wheatley will employ every single tool that they have at their disposal to undermine the Wineford residents at every single turn. We've already seen that with the doctoring of their figures and their so-called 87% approval rating. Wheatley is promoting a figure from 309 responses from a scheme with over 1,600 households, arguing that a majority in the scheme support the demolition is a flat-out lie. Since the launch of the political occupation of the Wineford Flats, there's been an outcry of solidarity and support from every corner of Scotland. No wonder. This is a crisis that affects us all. The Wineford residents are clear. The flats will not come down. The community will fight to ensure it so. Not only do the Wineford residents have the support of the YCL, other activists and the general public, they also have the support of professional bodies. These professional bodies stand ready to debunk the many lies and counter-arguments deployed bi-weekly in their attempt to bulldoze and socially cleanse the Wineford residents. Let us all stand together with the Wineford residents and fight. Let's fight for homes, for people, not for profit. Sometimes, just sometimes, maybe more than some of the time, I'm on a false ego trip, insecurity is rife, I'm not the idle person to be lecturing online, but if you want to know, some things I've learned about myself, being in sticky situations, I won't bore you with the filth, breaking bones and sniffing gear, pouring blood and sweat and tears, in a nutshell I suppose, that's the way the water Doing powder up your nose, it's the way the water 